Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 John chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Rachel, thank you very much for reading and let me add my welcome to Paul. Good morning, it's very good to have you with us. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open at that reading, Uh, 1, 1, 2, 3 in the Pew Bibles, 1 John, chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. There isn't a handout this week, but there is plenty of space on the back of the green uh, service sheets. If you have a pen, I'll try to flag up the headings as we go along, if that helps you to keep track of uh, where we are. But let's pray as we turn to God's word this morning. Father, these words before us this morning in some ways cut us. They are probing words for us. And yet they are also words of tremendous confidence. And so we would ask this morning that your word would do its work as you intended in our hearts, both to convict and to bring great joy and confidence in the cross of Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we began our our new series looking at 1 John last week, we saw some wonderful news. We saw that even though we can't see God physically with our eyes, we're we're 2,000 years too late, we can know him. We can have fellowship with him because 
those who did see Jesus, those who encountered him, have written down a testimony for us and proclaimed it to us. And as we receive their teaching, well, we know God. We have fellowship with him. It is wonderful news for us. But this morning, as John continues in his introduction, I think he comes next to the the obvious follow-on question. If we can have fellowship with God, well, what does a genuine fellowship with God look like? I wonder, as we look back over our week, as we think through the things that we've done, the things that we've said and thought, our, our conversations, our interactions, how we spent our time, how it's felt just to live our week. I wonder if we look at our week and we say, yes, there is a week where someone is clearly in a fellowship with God. In all the, the mundane everydays of life, the ups and downs of just being who you are in your family, in your relationships with, with, the, with the, the limitations that you have from being human, does it feel like we have this wonderful fellowship with living God? There, there may be some here today who say, yes, it has been, a, by God's grace, a great week, and I rejoice in the confidence of knowing him. But I wonder if there are others here today And our week's just been, at best, well, pretty mundane, and at worst, it's been terrible. And for whatever reason, we look at our lives and think it it doesn't actually look like we have, in practice, a genuine fellowship with the living God. And there is some urgency to how John writes, because it seems that amongst his first readers, there were people in and around the Christian community who who were spreading a message saying that they had this wonderful fellowship with God. They were on a, on a different plane experientially. They'd, they'd broken through. They, they didn't sin anymore. And they had this wonderful, brilliant experience of knowing God. And as John's readers encountered these other people, they were wobbling in their confidence that they themselves actually had a genuine fellowship with the living God. Of course, the Bible has lots to say about what genuine fellowship with God looks like, more than we can look at this morning. But as we see John speak into this particular set of circumstances for his early readers, I think we get a great insight into some of the the hallmarks of a genuine fellowship with God. These are words of huge comfort the genuine Christian. I hope we feel comforted this morning. And I would say if we are just visiting, if we're on the edge of things, we're just kind of exploring, you're very welcome amongst us this morning. As you look at this picture of a genuine relationship, it's going to help you see what what it looks like to know God and to live with him, if you're thinking about that for yourself. What does genuine fellowship with God look like? Well, straight away, John wants to begin by reminding us of what God is like. Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This week I've been thinking back to the last time there was a total 
solar eclipse visible from this country, I think it was 1999. And uh, as people were preparing to gaze up at the sun for uh, an hour or so, there were lots of warnings about the danger of looking directly at the sun. Um, we were told to use pinhole cameras and special glasses and so on. Um, as it happened, I was up in Scotland at the time, and um, Scotland had a, had a natural protection against the sun, a heavy cloud, so we were okay. But the warning is well made, isn't it? If there are no rocks in the way or no clouds in the way, to look up straight directly at the sun in all its blazing white hot intensity and glory well it's a dangerous thing isn't it because with the sun with that kind of light there is no darkness it is just light I think that's the sense that John has as he describes God God is light pure blinding white hot light there is with this light no darkness you just can't mix this kind of light, with with any kind of darkness. And so straight away, John is showing us that if we claim to have genuine fellowship with God, we need to remember that God is light. That is the kind of person we are claiming to know in this fellowship. And then John unpacks two very different attempts or claims at being in fellowship with God who is light. The first is there in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Here is option one. Here is claim one for having a genuine fellowship with God. And it's an option that involves walking in darkness. And John says it it, it won't work. It cannot work. You cannot mix light and dark. You can't be in fellowship with God who is light and yet remain living in darkness. That's option one. Well, option two is there in verse seven. Uh, John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Here is the second option, walking in the light. And this option does work. It is possible to have fellowship with God. See, God is light. If if we walk in the light, then then we can have fellowship with him. And right at the beginning, here is John's basic point. If we want to be people who have genuine fellowship with God, then we need to be people who walk in the light, not in darkness. I think that's, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it, from 1 John? But what is less straightforward is what does it mean to walk in the light or to walk in darkness? This is where the rubber hits the road for the question of a genuine fellowship with God. And so in our remaining time this morning, I want to bring out three hallmarks of a person walking in the light. A person who has genuine fellowship with God. And the first hallmark is this a conviction about our sin. There is, I think, a major shock here. I've been shocked by it myself this week, preparing. You see, I reckon that most people think that the difference between walking in the light and walking in darkness boils down to 
how we behave. So, so to walk in the light means that we behave well, and to walk in the darkness means that we behave badly. And so most people think, oh, okay, I, I get it now. To be in fellowship with God, I have to work hard to, to behave well. And that means I'm in the light, which means I, I know God. But John is saying much more than that here. He has, he has something else to really uh, ask us to grapple with. Three times John begins a verse here with the, if we claim. Do you notice it in verse six? He says, if we claim, and then down in verse eight, same again, if we claim, and then verse 10 again, if we claim. He is echoing, I think, these, these false teachers in and around the, his early Christian readers who are making false claims. And these three claims aren't made by different people about different things. I think they are parallel claims about the same issue. And so as we want to understand the first claim about being in darkness or light, well, when we look down at the other two claims and, and they kind of help us to understand, they, they, they paint a picture of what's being said here. Well, how does the parallel in verse 8 Help us to understand the darkness of verse 6. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Or again, verse 10, that the third claim, it parallels the first two. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So here's the shock. What John is saying is, to walk in darkness isn't just about moral failing. No, it's more than that. It's, it's about being blind to the fact that we are people who fail morally. It's, it's a blindness issue. It's an unawareness issue. Over the last few months, the light bulbs in our kitchen have gradually been burning out. I think they're all put in at the same time. They've come to the end of their life and they're all popping out one by one. And for some reason, we just couldn't quite find the right replacement bulbs. And um, gradually, nine became eight, became seven, became six. And we were down, I think, to three by the end. And it was getting a little bit murky in the kitchen. Um, You'll be glad to know we have found um, the right kind of bulbs. And uh, I can remember the moment when I put the, the, the six new ones in and turned the switch on and boom, there was this wonderful bright light back in the kitchen. It was a great moment, but of course, as I looked around at the, um, the ceiling, I realized that I hadn't been hoovering you know, the cobwebs very well for the last few weeks. I hadn't seen them in the darkness. And the bright light, well, it exposed um, the state of our kitchen. Now, it wasn't filthy, you'd be glad to know, but I could see more of what there was. That is what light does. It's true in my kitchen. It's also true in one John. When John says God is light, I think John means that God is morally pure, defining goodness. But also I think John means that God shines that moral purity into our hearts and our behavior and he exposes the gap between God and us. So to walk in darkness is to walk in a way which denies what we're like. It denies our sin. It's to be blind to our true state. But look at how John unpacks the other way to walk. Verse 7, to walk in light is paralleled by verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
This is so important to grasp. To walk in the light doesn't mean we are better than others. It means that we are convicted of our sin. To walk in darkness doesn't mean that we are any worse than others. It means that we are in denial about our sin. So many people think that to be in fellowship with God is all about trying our best to be a good person. And even as Christians, we slip into that way of thinking, don't we? Uh, well, here's how I sometimes think. I think if I, if I read my Bible every day and say my prayers, and if I love my neighbor as best I can and I don't kick the dog, and if I um, don't indulge in gossip and backstabbing, and well, I'm walking in the light, and then God must love me more because of it. I have, have more of a kind of closer fellowship with him, don't I? But here in 1 John, to walk in the light doesn't mean being good primarily I think it means being convicted about our sin it seems the false teachers were saying we're beyond sin our, our fellowship with God is so good it's so close that, that sin is behind us now we've somehow reached this new way of living that we're not bothered by sin it's just past us we're, we're that close to God and John says, be very, very careful of people who claim that. Verse 8, verse 10. You can imagine for genuine Christians who do care about sin, and it grieves us. You can see how devastating it is when other people come along and say, well, we've cracked the sin problem. Oh, oh do you still sin? Really? It's very unsettling, isn't it? For genuine Christians who grieve over our sin to hear that. You can imagine why these early readers were rocked by people claiming to have cracked the sin issue. And so these genuine Christians, they're wobbling in their confidence that they do have fellowship with God. They're looking at the sin and wondering, have we got it wrong? But John's words are so helpful. The one who is in the light, the one who does know God, is the one who is becoming increasingly aware of their sin. Fellowship with God involves conviction about our sin. We need to hear this today, don't we? Society around us has, I think, increasingly moved away from talking about morality in terms of right and wrong and truth and lies and light and darkness. Instead, people prefer to talk about personal choice and being true to yourself, whatever feels right. It's a way, I think, of downplaying sin. It's not very PC to tell someone that their behavior is wrong, of the dark. But where does John find his moral compass? Not in public opinion or personal preference, but by taking us back to the message that was proclaimed to us concerning God. He is light. And God is the one who defines truth and lies, light and darkness, good and evil. But within our churches too, I think we need to remember that we mustn't lose our nerve with regard to sin. I think amongst Christian circles, it's less common that people would sort of make an outright claim not to sin anymore. Although people do. 
I think much more subtly and probably more damaging is not the explicit denial of sin, but just the omission of talking about sin, just taking it off the agenda. There is a pastor in the US who happens to lead a very large church. He's very popular. He is a lovely, winsome man. But he has said again and again that his approach to preaching is to focus on the positives. He says he doesn't want to leave people feeling rubbish about themselves. He wants to um, show people how to live a good whole life. And that means talking about the good stuff, not the bad stuff. When he's been pushed on whether he has a doctrine of sin, he says, well, yes, I do believe in sin. It's just I don't think we have to talk about it very much. But you see, when we stop talking about sin, the message being conveyed is actually that sin doesn't matter very much, that it's not part of the equation anymore. It's a very popular message, but it's not in line with 1 John. And in this country, up and down the nation, there are pulpits filled with people who teach good things, but they don't teach everything. They don't teach as much as they need to on sin. The reality of living in darkness. And I wonder about us here at Forward as we kind of do life together amongst the church family. How do we talk about our experience of being Christians? Now I'm not saying we should go around to every single person we meet and unload on them every single sin we've ever committed. But I know that in my own heart I would love to project to you this image of Pete Scammon that, that somehow he's actually really quite sorted. I partly would love to, for you to think and look at me and go, wow, what a good guy he is. And the danger that I feel, and I'm sure I'm not alone, is that I want to manage my image in front of you so that you think that. It's just not true. I wonder how we do life with each other in our small groups, the people we pray with, our friends. How do we talk about our problem with sin with people in an appropriate way? Or do we give the impression by not talking about it that actually somehow we're kind of, that's not our problem anymore? Fellowship with God involves conviction about our sin. I'm no expert in such things, but from what little research and reading I've done, it seems to me that throughout church history, when God has been particularly at work amongst his people in moments of, of revival, when he's been really stirring up his people, it seems to me that, that front and center of any genuine work of the Lord has been right at the center, a profound, devastating clarity about the problem of personal sin. It is a sign of God's mercy amongst us when we see our sin for what it is. And oh, that God would keep us clear, convicted on our sin. It is what it means to walk in the light. And when God's people stop noticing or stop worrying about our sin, well, I think we are in a very dangerous place. So I think John would say to us this morning, are you aware of a sin problem in your life? It's a sign of life. It's a sign that you are walking in the light, that you do have genuine fellowship with the Lord because without the Lord who is light shining in our lives, you wouldn't see it. Fellowship with God involves conviction about our sin. 
But of course, there is much more. There are wonderful words to come. Fellowship with God also involves certainty about God's forgiveness. That's our second hallmark. Certainty about God's forgiveness. And these these are precious words. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Or the parallel verse, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The tenses here are in the present. If we go on walking actively in the light, then God will go on actively purifying us from sin. It's a wonderful picture of the dynamic, ongoing relationship between God's children and God's. It's one of, of confession of our sins, but then, but then constant reminder that we are, in the present, purified because of the death of Jesus in the past. It's, a, it's an ongoing picture of living with the Lord. Which means that in the moment, in the present, we don't need to hide our sin or be afraid about what will happen if we bring it out into the open. Rather, we can have certainty about God's forgiveness. There is some debate about how 2 verse 1 fits in. John writes, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. <laughs> what, what does John mean? He just said that you know, we, we, we do sin. And then he says, oh, all right, so you don't sin. That kind of, what is John trying to say here? Well, different commentators have different lines. I think for what it's worth, that what John is saying here is, as I write to you about uh, our cleansing from sin found in the death of Jesus, I don't write so that you take that cleansing with license or you take it cheaply as if, oh, it doesn't matter how I live. If I sin, then I can be forgiven. That's fine. Who cares about sin anymore? John says, no, that's not the point at all. I'm not writing to give you a license to sin because it's free forgiveness. I'm writing that you, that you don't sin. Sin's terrible. We shouldn't abuse the cross to that end. And yet, John says again, verse two, if anyone does sin, in case we've missed it, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I've been, um, I've been moved to tears this week looking at verse um, one and two of one John Chapter 2. These are stunning words. Here is what is happening at this moment in heaven between the Father and the Son. There is one who is before the Father. It is the same one who we first met back in 1 verse 2, the one who is eternal life, who's been before the Father from all of eternity. And this one, having taken on flesh so that he could die on a cross, this one has now been raised back up to heaven before his father once again. What do you think this one is saying to the father in our defense, even now as we sit here this morning? We're not told explicitly, but I think we can work it out. I'm pretty sure the son is not saying to the father, Look at Pete Scammon. Look how good he is. Hasn't he lived a great life? 1 John 1.8, 1 John 1.10. 1 
That's not what the son is saying in my defense. Nor is the son saying, look, Father, I know he's messed up, but does sin really matter that much? Can't we just ignore it and and move on and brush it under the carpet? He's not saying that. 1 John 1 verse 5, God is light. God cannot treat sin that way. So what is the son saying to the father even now in our defense? I wonder if it's something like this. Father, you have known me forever. I've always been before you from eternity past. You know that I am the righteous one. I have never done anything wrong. You know that, Father. You, you see me forever. And yet, Father, you know that when I took on flesh and died on a cross, I bore the full weight of your fury and anger for the sins of others as I gave up my life as a sacrifice on the cross, bearing the full weight of your anger, not for things I did, but for the sins of others. Father, you know you poured your anger out on me. And so now, Father, here's Pete Scammon. Would you not judge him again for the sins you've already judged me for 2,000 years ago? Father, would you do what is just and forgive Pete because you've already judged me? I think that is what the son is saying in our defense. We can be robbed of the wonder of these words, I think, for two very different reasons. On one hand, if we have lost sight of our sin, if if we are living in the murky shadows at the edge of the light and, and we have grown hard to our sin, then we look at the news of the sun dying in our place and we think, well, that's lovely, but I didn't really need it. I think another way we can be robbed of the wonder of these verses is by lacking certainty that we really are forgiven. Uh, Perhaps there is a, a particular sin that we've done which just comes back to us again and again in it. And when it does, it just fills us with a sense of utter despair and guilt. How could God ever forgive me for that? Later on in John's letter, in John 5, verse 6, John says this about Jesus. He says, He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. In other words, Jesus came uh, to, to die on a cross. His ministry was a ministry of blood, giving his life as a sacrifice. How do we know? John continues, And it is the Spirit who testifies because the spirit is truth. I think John is saying that as we try to grapple with the reality that Christ came to shed his blood for us and that that blood was sufficient to bring us forgiveness, we are not on our own as we try to believe it. We have the spirit of God given to us who testifies to our hearts that Christ did come by blood as well as water, dying on a cross for us. And so I commend to you again, if you are struggling to believe this, to go away from here, why not open 1 John again? And as you read through it, pray and ask for God by his spirit to testify in your hearts that this is true and it's true for you 
as you believe. Fellowship with God involves certainty about God's forgiveness. If I can put it this way, here is is the five a day of the Christian heart. Conviction of our sin, daily repentance, and, and confidence about God's forgiveness. Day in, day out. Here is what feeds us and nurtures us and builds our hearts before the Lord. It's a sign of genuine fellowship with the Lord as these things happen daily in our hearts. Well, we are almost out of time this morning, but very quickly as we come to a close, what does genuine fellowship with God look like or involve? Well, our final hallmark is commitment to God's ways. I think in many ways this is a bridge from this section through to next week's passage. But these words are important for us this morning. Look at verse 4. John says, The man who says, I know God, but does not do what God commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, here's another false claim to have fellowship with God from someone who seems very happy to play loose and fast with God's ways and God's commandments. Now please, as we come to a close, let's not forget what we've heard this morning. John has said to us, a hallmark of living in the light is to be convicted of our sin. We're not perfect. And so when John says here that he talks about obeying God and keeping his commands, John can't mean that Someone who is genuinely walking in the light is a perfect person who keeps God's commands perfectly. That can't be his point. But I think what John is saying is that if we claim to know God and have experienced his love for us and the death of his son on our behalf, if we claim to know God and yet have no desire to go God's way and no desire to submit to God's rule, then that should be a worrying sign in our hearts. I think it's also helpful to remember that when John talks about commands, he's not talking about every command under the sun. But in particular in 1 John, he often means the particular command to love other Christians. And more of that next week. If we claim to know God but, but fail to keep his command by, by hating other Christians, then John would say, beware. Perhaps it's a bit like this. It's a weak illustration, but I think it makes the point I've been married to Lorna for seven years. I've known her for 10 years or so. And um, over that time, I've got to know what she likes and doesn't like. I know the the way she kind of comes at life in many ways. But you'd be be troubled, wouldn't you, if I said, look, I know Lorna really well, but day in, day out, the way I actually live around her seems to betray any uh, knowledge of her ways, any desire to go her ways. Imagine if I made her tea black every morning, knowing she liked her tea white. You think, well, that's not a very healthy relationship. You don't seem to kind of know Lorna or or even love her if you kind of just constantly ignore the way she wants things done in that way. Rather, it's a sign of love to to find out what someone wants and then try to go their way on that issue. It's a weak illustration, but I think that's John's point here. If we have come to know God and we love him, then we should care about his ways and want to go his way in life, walking how he would have us walk. Fellowship with God involves a commitment to his ways. More on that, I think, next week. For now, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that cut 
and yet words that give great comfort as well. We ask that you'd help us to be a people who walk in the light, both convicted of our sin and confident about your forgiveness, following your ways. We ask this that you might be glorified amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.